Thank you, worship band. Yes. Man, you guys always sound so tired on Thursday nights. Like, goodness, might have to move this up to 4 p.m. Okay, because I was told I match, I, my outfit matches the graphic. That's a bummer. That, that's not intentional. Also, it's like everyone, their mom, their grandma is on a beach in Hawaii right now, and I'm a little jealous. I'll be honest. Can't skip two weeks. So anyways, uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, pumped to be back. Northwestern crew, you guys are back? Yes? Okay, you got to like actually enjoy it, right? So Northwestern crew, you back? Slightly better. I'm going to give you like a four out of ten. But we're going to work on that this year. Okay, anyways, uh, good to be back with you guys. So pumped to be here. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff with this college ministry. And we are starting a new series called Lineage. As we look through five different narratives and five different people that point to the person of Jesus and the genealogy found in Matthew chapter 1. So we're really, really excited for this new series. Uh, if you're new here to Salt Company, thanks for being here. We love that you're here. We'd love for you to get invited, um, plugged in into connection groups and be a part of our family. Okay. So, okay, where am I? Okay. Guys, the downside of using a laptop is you get lost often. Although that's kind of why I use a laptop so I don't get lost. Maybe it's just me. Anyways, okay. Okay, here's a big idea that we'll be studying as we look into Genesis chapter 22. So if you've got a Bible, take it out. It's the first book, super easy to find. If you have an iPhone or an app or whatever, you can take that out as well. But the big idea that we'll be studying tonight is this, that we surrender because of his sacrifice. That we surrender because of his sacrifice. Let me pray as we enter into our conversation together tonight. Yeah, Father, I just, yeah, I sense a lot of distraction in my own soul of just a long week, a tired week, a lot of different things going on. And yeah, Jesus, I don't want that. I want this to be a time where I see your beauty in your word. I want this to be a time where I'm actually transformed and I'm changed and I see you as more beautiful than I did before. And Father, I do pray that for all of us in this room, that whatever we have going on, the burden on our shoulders, the pain in our hearts, that Jesus, you would be made beautiful tonight and that there would be healing that happens in this room, that there would be a supernatural heaviness that falls upon us to be lifted up by your beauty and your cross, that our sin would be killed with the cross and resurrected in life with you. Father, we do pray that you would transform us tonight, that it would be for your glory, not for Saul Company, not for any one of us, but for you, King Jesus, thanks for this moment that we get to share together. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'll come here. Here's what I'm going to start with you. Start with, <clears throat> okay. Also, my voice is like super raspy. Rachel was like, my throat hurts today. And I was like, mine does too. And she's like, I probably gave it to you. I was like, whatever. Okay. Blame Rachel. Anyways, <laughs> let's just get started. That's what I should do. Okay. Here's how we're going to start, okay. Think about something in your life that you can't live without, okay? Think about something in your life that you can't live without. When I was in college, I was a faithful follower of Chipotle. Delicious. This is my second fast casual reference in two weeks, so it's not looking good for me. I've used a lot of these references, but I love Chipotle. There's a season in my life where I had Chipotle five days a week in college. Now, yeah, that's amazing. I know, I'm proficient in this topic, and I wanted to share some of my wisdom with you. Okay, so don't tell me I didn't teach you anything tonight. All right, if you're a note taker, this is what you should take down. I've got three keys for you on how to maximize your Chipotle experience. First, you should be amazed by this stuff. This is going to be revolutionary for your life. It'll change your life. 
get half chicken, half steak. You, you get it. No, you don't get half chicken, half steak, Jaleel, really? Okay. Here's why you should get half chicken, half steak. It's because have you ever tried to half scoop something? It never is accurate, okay? So you get way more meat for half chicken, half steak. Okay, that's key number one. Key number two, some of you guys are like not going to use these keys and they're just not going to live a good life. Okay, second key, get extra rice and a tortilla on the side. Okay, here's why. That bowl will be like 8,000 calories, okay? So if you're on a diet, don't do this. But if you're a broke college student who needs to have a lunch and a dinner, you're doing the math right now. You're like, that's a good deal. You're welcome. Key number three. Key number three. Get extra corn and get vinaigrette on the side. Okay. Here's the thing. Their corn, they have somehow made corn not boring. It's amazing. I don't know what they put in their corn, but it's fantastic and I could eat it every day. And their vinaigrette is sweet and spicy. I mean, come on. These are good keys. Yes, thank you. You get it. Lid gets it. Get the vinaigrette. Yes, chipotle is so good. Some of you guys don't eat chipotle. Are you guys like, what? Okay. Why am I talking about Chipotle? Guys, I start every sermon like this. You know. Let's just be honest. You know. Okay. Why am I starting with Chipotle? It's because that was something in my life that I thought I couldn't live without. Okay. Let me just get a little bit more serious. All of us in our lives have things in life that we don't believe that we can live without. And I think for most of my life, it was actually not Chipotle, although Chipotle is fantastic. But it was actually money. I thought money was a thing that I couldn't live without. And I remember... And here's why, it's because I've grown up my entire life watching my mom work two jobs. I was five years old when I got enrolled in an elementary school in the projects of Nashville that had bars on its windows, and I was seven years old when my dad told me that we were too poor to put me through college. So in my mind, money was the thing that I would look to for my security, put my hope in, would hopefully heal the deepest wounds in my life. And here's my question for you, is what's that thing for you? Because all of us have one. And, and here's another way to think about it. What's something that Jesus can't take? And I remember when I was 16, I came to faith, and I was, like, super zealous for God. I was like, "Woohoo! Jesus is awesome. And I remember thinking to myself, Jesus, you can take everything except my money. You can take everything about my life, but not my financial future. You can take everything about who I am, but not my money-motivated ambition. And here's what I'm asking you tonight. Is whatever that thing is, would God still be good if he took that away? Would God still be good if he took away that thing that you thought you could never live without? And here's God's call for you tonight in Genesis chapter 22. Whatever that thing is, to set it on the altar. This is going to be a heavy message as we look at one of the most painful stories in the Old Testament. But my prayer is that it's a worshipful message as we see God come through for Abraham and how he will come through for you. Open up with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis Chapter 22, okay. This is a long chunk, so I'm just going to drink some water. Guys, I got, the, I, bought, I got the bottle that makes a weird noise, so I'm just going to drink it and then put my microwave. Okay, so. <laughs> just kidding. Still just as loud. Okay. It's just so good. It's tropical mango. All right, don't worry, whatever. All right, let's just. That was a complete fail. I was like, what? Why is that still so loud? Like, everyone could hear it, like, even in, like, the out balcony. Anyways, <clears throat> let's read God's word. I was never buying this again. This was a complete mistake. Okay. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. This is God's word. Guys, this is a pretty heavy story. And I'm going to do my best to explain this story. But, but this should hit all of us. And I don't care if you've heard this story a hundred times or zero times because this should hit your heart. Because this is a story of a father sacrificing his own son and a story that has rung throughout thousands of years of human history. And so here's my ask for you is would you lean in? Would you lean in and say, God, here I am, as Abraham did, and say, there's things in my heart that you know that need to be surrendered to you tonight. There are things of my heart that need to be put on the altar tonight, and I have disordered loves, and I need you to reorder them. Would you lean in, and would the word of God speak to you tonight? I want to begin in verse 1. He says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Okay, notice the first thing that God is doing here. He is testing Abraham. Okay, so what was God testing in Abraham? He was testing in Abraham what Abraham loved the most. See, look with me to verse 2. This is what the author says. Take Isaac, your son, your only son, whom you love. See, there's something that happened in Abraham's life. Okay, I'm just going to tell Abraham's story real quick. Bible check it when you get home, okay? This is how it went. He was 75, which is old, okay? Did not know God. God shows up to him. He's like, hey, Abraham, we should be friends. Boom, best friends, okay? And then he gives Abraham a promise, and he says, through you I will make nations, many nations of great multitudes. I was trying to think of the exact verse, but I don't remember it. So it was in Genesis chapter 12. Through Abraham, he was going to make many nations. Okay, here's the problem, though. One, Abraham old. Two, Sarah super barren, incredibly infertile. Okay, so Abraham's like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to work. And over the next 25 years, God doesn't answer the promise, which I don't know about you guys. Actually, there's literally no one in here probably. That's, okay, Tammy, you're older, Josie. 25 years is longer than you've been alive. Imagine with me, someone makes you a promise and don't answer till after you're dead. I mean, that, that logic is really bad. You, hopefully most of you guys lived longer than that. Anyways, that doesn't make sense. But you get what I'm saying, 25 years, that's a minute, Okay. God makes this guy a promise, and he says, through you, I'm going to make many nations. And then for 25 years, God doesn't come through on his promise, but on the 25th year, Isaac is born. And in Isaac hold the promises of God. Now, this would have been an incredible moment for Abraham. But here's what ended up happening to Abraham, is he started loving the provision of God more than God himself. You ever feel that? God's like blessing you. You're like having a good season. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, man, community tight, school easy. I love life. And you begin to notice that you actually love the things that God gave you more than him. 
that you love the blessings of God more than him. Like that's, that's us. That's We do that. And that's where Abraham was. And so here's what God was trying to do to Abraham. He was asking Abraham, who do you love more? The provision that I give you or me? That's the question that he's asking you tonight. And underneath the call, and then with that came a call. And that call was to put that thing that Abraham loved the most, his own son, on the altar. To test him, whom does he love the most? And the question under the call, there was, there was kind of a trust structure going on here. And here's what God was doing as he was calling Abraham. He was also asking a question. And that question was, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me enough? To put the provision of the promise up on the altar. Do you trust me enough to put the thing that you love the most up on the altar? And here's the question that God is asking you tonight. All of us in this room, whether you've grown up in the church for like 18 years or you're 18 days in or you don't know Jesus. Here's the question that God has for you tonight is do you trust him? Will you trust him that he is good when you lose someone you love? When the cancer diagnosis hits? When the ankle breaks or the relationship fails, will you trust him that he is still good? That he is still good if life is broken and hard. When you don't understand his ways, will you trust his heart? Abraham responds with a somber yes, not by his mouth, but by his feet. Verse 3 says, he rose and he went. Okay, so here's my question for you. How do you trust God like that? How do you trust God enough to say, here I am, taking the thing that you love the most, your own son, the son that you waited 25 years for God to give you, the son in his body who carried the promises of God, not just for Abraham, but for the world. See, God was blessing Abraham to make him a blessing to many nations. In Isaac carried the promises of God, and Isaac is exactly the one whom God calls to set on the altar to sacrifice. How do you trust God like that? You trust God. He, trust, he was able to trust God because he knew the character of the one who made the promise. He had a faith that was formed in the crucible of his failures and God's faithfulness. See, what was true about Abraham is he lived an incredibly imperfect life. Called at 75 that he would be a father to many nations. But in between the, the call and the promise fulfilled, he gave his wife to Pharaoh, calling her his sister to save his own life. Did that once, which is wild. And then he does it again, which is stupid. Just tough. Like, dude, what is wrong with you? Twice. He has sex with his servant to illegitimately make the promises of God come true. This is Abraham, the father of our faith. But here's what Abraham learned in 25 years of failure and failure and failure. That even when his faith failed, God's faithfulness never did. That's what he learned. And Saul Company, that's what true faith actually looks like. Some of y'all think faith is just like coming to Saul Company like, woohoo, God is awesome. But you haven't failed yet. Or you don't see your failure. And some of us think that we can have faith in God without seeing our sin. Some of us think we can come up on Saul Company and have a good old time without seeing our failures. But it's not till you see your failures that you begin to understand the faithfulness of God. And I remember learning this lesson. This is pretty raw, so you're about to just, 
You might be like, this guy's crazy. Okay, um, two years ago after COVID-19, the week COVID hit, both my parents lost their jobs. And then I saw Floyd killed in our streets. And then I began to see my minority brothers and sisters flee the church. And childhood trauma just started bubbling up in like a crazy way. And um, I remember this one time I was walking around this lake. I hadn't opened my Bible for weeks and I was like on staff with the church, which is not what I recommend. <laughs> but yeah, I know it's tough. Anyways, but I remember walking around this lake I don't even know if I was praying or just like shouting out to God, but I remember saying these words that Jesus, I don't know if I believe in you anymore. That I'm losing the fight, man. And whatever battle is going on in my soul, I have, I have no idea what I'm doing. And what's crazy is when I first came to know Jesus, I never imagined that's where I'd be. Right? It's crazy. Because I was like, no, man, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I know that my faith is in him. And yet in that moment, I did it. But you know what's even crazier than my failure of faith? How faithful Jesus was to me, man. And I began to learn that what he said, that I'll never leave you or forsake you, was actually true. That Jesus will never go back on his promise. And I felt for the next couple months him just reminding me of moments that we shared together. Moments where he saved me out of my porn addiction. Moments where he healed me of my deepest wounds. Moments where he brought me into life. And slowly and surely he reminded me that I was his. And even when I fail, his faithfulness never would. Soul Company, do you know him like that? Do you know him to the point that even when you fail and you got nothing left to give him, and all the Christian stuff is gone and the community is gone and the hype is gone. When you're sitting alone in your room, when you're 45 years old, wondering if any of it was real. Will you believe that it is not your faith that draws you to him? It's his faithfulness that draws him to you. Will you believe that the God of the universe is holding you tightly? That his promises are true, man. It's true. And this is what Abraham learned. And so that's why. His faith, formed in the crucible of his failures and God's faithfulness, was able to take steps up the mountain to bring his son whom he loved the most, to sacrifice him on behalf of the God he loved the most. That's how he had that faith. Faith formed in the failures. Faith formed in the imperfections. I want to pause here and say so, there's something odd in this story. Instead of saying that he was going to the mountain to sacrifice, he says he was going to worship. Look with me to verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Okay, whenever you read the Bible and you're like, that makes literally no sense, you should study that verse, okay? Which I know I do this for a living, so whatever. But anyways, study the verse. And I was like, why is he saying that? Isn't he saying that he's going to go sacrifice his son? Why use the word worship instead of sacrifice? And then it dawned on me that Abraham saw sacrifice as worship. That worship to him wasn't going up on a Thursday night. There was no Saul coming back in like 2000 BC, you know. But let's just say there was. Worship for him is not singing a couple songs in the shower, not jamming out in your car. Worship is living a life of sacrifice and full surrender to King Jesus. That's what worship is. I know this is kind of a bummer message. I'll say it. It's just true. It's true. 
And Abraham understood that. And this is what it looks like to live a life of worship. It's to say, hey, King Jesus, here I am. I trust you. And so even when I don't understand your ways, I trust your heart. Even when I don't understand your words and it clashes with my words and I read the Bible and I'm like, really? I trust the man who wrote that word. That's what worship looks like. It looks like when your back's against the wall and you don't know if you can have another faith of step anymore, saying, you know what, here I am, Jesus. I give my life to you. I fully surrender. This is true worship. This is true surrender. So that's part one of the story, that we surrender. But look with me to the second part of the story, the sacrifice in verse 9. Guys, I'm going to make a sacrifice and drink this. It's going to be so loud, but i got to do it, man. It just gets dry. I don't know. Yeah, still just as loud as the first time. Look at that. I brought this whole thing up. I only drank like three ounces, and I can't do the rest of it because it's so distracting. I'm just going to put you over there. Okay. Let's read verse 9. Just, the cumulative amount of minutes I've commentated on water this year is dangerous for all of us. Okay. All right. Someone needs to stop me. Okay. All right. I'm going to read the passage. This is like a dark passage, too, so I should really stop laughing. Anyways, verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the lamb and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to that day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Yeah, guys, these are, these are some of the highest tension verses in the entire Bible. I want you to place yourself in that story. Imagine with me that you're Abraham. You're walking up this mountain with the son that you love the most, knowing that these are your final moments with him. You walk up this mountain, and as you get to the top of the mountain, you find a place to build an altar. And every single piece of wood that you're laying down, your tears are just running down your eyes. And Isaac says, Dad, what's going on? I thought we were just worshiping God. And you respond, this is worship. And you build that altar. And then Isaac, Isaac turns to you, and he's like, where's the lamb? And you tell him. You're the lamb. God the Father has commanded that you would be the lamb. And as you lay the son you love the most on the wood, and you bind his feet, and you bind his hand, you are crying out to Yahweh, remembering every moment that you failed, and yet he was faithful. And you're asking him just one more time, God, could you do it again? Abraham picks up the knife. And he lifts up the knife above Isaac's head. And right before it descends, God comes through. 
And he sends an angel from heaven and he says, Abraham, do not touch the boy for there will be another sacrifice. There will be another sacrifice. And here's what was so crazy about that story is Abraham had the knife in his hand. His faith was real. He was willing to walk up the mountain, build the altar, lay his son on it and pick up the knife. He so believed that God was a provider of the promises that he made that he was willing to sacrifice the one who he loved the most for the God who he loved the most. And here's my question for you, Saul Company, is would you lift up the knife? The one you love the most, would you lift up the knife for the God you love the most? This is a faith that acts. This is a faith that lives. As I call the worship band back up, I want you to see that there's actually a greater meaning in this story. That's actually where the Israel, um, the, the Jewish teaching ends. Uh, this story is actually also in the Quran, and that's also where the Quran teaching ends. Because in both of those faiths, it's all about what Abraham did. It's all about whether or not you believe God in his, in his faithfulness and you can do the right thing. But here's the point of this story actually. See, the point of this story isn't to show you what you'd be willing to sacrifice for God. The point of the story is what God was willing to sacrifice for you. And here's why. Here's the biblical hermeneutic, which is a big word for understanding the Bible, okay? Here's how this works. This same mountain, the Mount Moriah, 1,800 years later, would be called Golgotha, a.k.a. Calvary. And 1,800 years later, there would be a different father and son duo that would walk up that mountain. Instead of Abraham and Isaac, this time it would be God the Father and Jesus. And I want to show you how the story that God has been writing is bigger than you and me. This is a story that's bigger than 2022. This is from Genesis 22 to John chapter 19. This is the story. In Genesis 22, Isaac carried the wood on which he would be sacrificed on his back. In John 19, Jesus Christ would bear the wood on which he would be killed on his back by the cross. In Genesis 22, Isaac would be bound to the wood. In John 19, Jesus would be bound to the cross instead of with ropes, with nails to his feet and his hands. In Genesis 22, God intervenes. The knife is spared. In John chapter 19, he does not intervene. In Genesis 22, God sends a ram. In John 19, God sends his son. And Abraham says in Genesis 22 that this is the mountain of the sacrifice in which God will provide. And Jesus said on the mountain of Calvary, it is finished. Saul Company, God did provide. This is the redemptive story of human history. This is God coming down from earth to write an 1800 year long story that from Genesis 22 to John 19, we are saved in him. This is what happened. God sent the ram so that Gabriel, Isaac could be saved. Jesus was sent so that we could be saved. That through Jesus' full surrender and sacrifice that we could not live a life of sin but live a life of righteousness. And as we close, here's what I want to end it on. Let's go back to the big idea and the story itself that we surrender because of his sacrifice. Here's what's crazy. This, is, this got me just bawling my eyes out when I was studying this. Here's what's crazy is Abraham didn't know about the future promise. He didn't actually know about the ram or Jesus to come. But look back with me to verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Okay, here's what Abraham says. He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. 
So my question for you is how could Abraham possibly believe that the boy and him would come back and God had called him to sacrifice him? Here's the hermeneutic. I'm not gonna read this out because we're kind of running out of time, but it's in Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. 19 says, he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay, here's how he knew that Isaac would be back. He believed that God would provide for his promises. Now here's what's crazy. Up until that point in Genesis 22, no one had been resurrected. Okay, so do the math with me for a second. Abraham so deeply believed in the provision of God that he created a new category for resurrection. That's crazy. He believed that God was so faithful to his promises and his provision that there would be another way. And so he was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he genuinely believed that there would be a resurrection of Isaac. But here's what's beautiful about this text is the resurrection that is pointing to is not Isaac's resurrection, but it's Jesus's resurrection. This too is appointed to King Jesus. And here's why that's so important for us to understand is because when you sacrifice the thing that you love the most, when you sacrifice your sin, your ambition, your career, whatever, you don't get death, you get life. See, what the resurrection of Jesus teaches us that whatever you lay on the altar, Jesus is not trying to kill you, he's trying to give you life. That's the opportunity we have which means that boyfriend or girlfriend that doesn't know Jesus, but you're holding on to because you're worried that without them, you're nothing, that without them, you'll live in pain, alter, Jesus is giving you life. Which means when you try to go out on the weekends and get completely wasted, because you're like, that's all you think life is. Where you give Jesus your Thursday, but not your Friday, alter, Jesus is giving you life. When you feel like Jesus is against you, here's what you need to look at is the Isaac story and say, Jesus, you walked up that hill for me. That hill was meant for me and you walked up that hill for me. Which means any type of career ambition, any type of obsession with school, any type of performance obsession, alter. Jesus is trying to give you life. That's the resurrection power that we believe in. So here's how I wanna end the sermon tonight. All of us in this room, I'm just gonna ask you to hold out your hands. It's not weird, you can just do it. It doesn't have to be weird like that. And here's what we're gonna say to Jesus. Jesus, I recognize that you're trying to give me life. And so we're gonna say, like Abraham did, here I am. Whatever you want me to lay on the altar, that boyfriend or girlfriend that clearly doesn't know Jesus, the weekend plans that I have coming up, the pornography that I think I need to live a normal life, whatever it is, Father, I lay it on the altar and I say, here I am, change me. Whatever it is, I lay my life in full surrender to you. And some of you are here in this room right now, and you actually don't know Jesus. You have not actually surrendered the thing that is most important to your life, which is your soul. And here's Jesus' invitation for you, is you can know him. And here's how you can know him. Because he didn't just die for you, but he rised for you. And this is what's true about your life. Whatever it is that you feel like is holding you back from surrender to King Jesus, as you lay it on the altar, as you lay it on the altar, Jesus gives you life. Father, we thank you that tonight you're doing that again. Genesis 22, John 19, Hebrews 11, 2022 in St. Paul right now, you're giving us life. So Father, I do pray that all of us tonight, whatever it is that's on our hearts, that's keeping us from full surrender to you, we would lay it on the altar and see that because of your sacrifice, we surrender. Here I am, Lord. Here we are, Jesus. Change us tonight. Amen.